morning, Colonial Woods. How you doing this morning? Wow. Wow, Jay, they're not awake yet. But you're with me. I can see you tracking with me. Hey, turn to somebody near you and say, you know what? You look pretty good for a Sunday morning. Do that real quick if you would. If you're at home, I don't know if you can really say that because I don't know what you're wearing. But anyway, so greeting at home as well and glad you're with us. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them and turn to Matthew chapter 2. We will be there in a few minutes, but uh, we are continuing a series called The Chronicles of Christmas. It's kind of this blended concept. We're using the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the, the trilogy actually from C.S. Lewis, so The Chronicles of Narnia, if you watch the, the movie. We're using that kind of a backdrop, but we're looking at some of the key characters in fact, some of the, the side characters of Christmas, and we're, we're taking a look at what that means for us as we're on this journey toward Christmas in this Advent season. We, uh, we've, uh, it's interesting because when we start putting things like this together, we'll all work separately, and yet it was interesting how many things came together. Pastor Chelsea will work on graphics and design, and I'll work on messages, and I have a team. I call them the creative genius team. We'll get together, and we'll just talk through ideas and such. And then Jason will work with video stuff. And it's interesting because all of us started coming together with the same idea, working independently. You saw a quote come up on the graphic, and it actually is the one I wanted to focus on today because in the, in the scene or in the concept of the, of the Chronicles of Narnia, you had four young children from Great Britain. It was actually written during World War II. C.S. Lewis was trying to, to give kind of a calm in the midst of some craziness in the, in the aspects of World War II. It's kind of this fight against good versus evil. Christ is the, is the Aslan. He is the Christ figure against the, the army of darkness which is the witch in the in the whole uh, uh, the trilogy and then you have the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve you have Edmund and you have Peter they are the sons of Adam and then you have Lucy and Susan they are the sons of, or the daughters of Eve and they are this they all come together with this whole allegory of, of what it means to have Christ as our victor he is our victorious Christ and it it's an incredible story I remember as a kid when they would do such things as this, we had a, we had a Bible class in, in our school. And they would take us actually down to the local church elementary school. They would put us in a bus. We could go down for Bible class where I live. And I remember the guy reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to us as part of kind of a special focus on a class. I don't think we do things like that anymore. But anyway, it was where we grew up, and it was just kind of a cool thing. Well, there's a quote in this when Lucy, who's the little girl, uh, begins to get to know Mr. Beaver. He's another figure and a character. And, and he began talking about Aslan, the great Aslan, the great lion. And the interaction goes like this Aslan is a lion, the, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I, I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion, but he is good. And it's this whole idea of dealing with your imagery, your picture of who Jesus really is. And it really is interesting because C.S. Lewis hit on this whole idea that people tend to make not just God in their own image, we tend to make Jesus into the image that we're comfortable with. Now it's interesting, I, there are probably lots of them, but I was thinking few, through a few of them this week. First of all, Jesus is for some people needy Nelson. 
He is the ultimate codependent. He needs sinners. Christ came to die for sinners. God loves to give grace. God loves. He needs us to worship. And it's this idea that, of course, we love Jesus because we're doing Jesus a favor by worshiping him. God created us because we, we, he needs us to worship him. And can I just tell you, if that's your idea, whether you say it out loud or not, I'm just going to ruin your Christmas. God doesn't need us. God is God. God is sovereign. But God did create us for the purpose of worship, to worship and honor him. We were made for his glory. He was not made for our glory. And many individuals, when they look at Jesus, whether they like it or whether they would say it out loud or not, they kind of feel like, you know what, I'll show up a few times a year, I'll give him attention now and again, and I will give him a little bit because he needs me. It's this idea of needy Nelson. Now, interesting what Scripture says about that, by the way. Acts chapter 17, Paul is going to a group of individuals in the book of Acts, and they are worshiping the unknown God. They, they actually have a, an idol or a temple set up for the God they don't know. And he begins to speak into them, and he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gave all men life and breath every and everything else from one man he created every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the sets uh, in set the times for them and the exact places where they should live. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is God. And as much as God may love us, He doesn't need us. That kind of refutes the needy Nelson idea. Then there's good luck Charlie. Good luck Charlie is that Jesus is kind of like a rabbit's foot or maybe a mascot. I, I'm a Notre Dame fan. By the way, they missed out of that whole playoff thing, but congratulations U of M fans and such. I didn't hear any hoops. I heard like two. Yeah, yeah you're out there. I know you're out there. Uh, but anyway, it's interesting uh, for the Notre Dame, they've got the, the leprechaun. He's the good luck. He's the, he is the, he's the mascot of the team. And if you ever know anything about a mascot of the team, the mascot really doesn't go into the game. He does influence when you're down. He kind of cheers you up. When you, when you need a rally, he's kind of the one who resuscitates your, your excitement. And so a lot of us look at Jesus kind of that way, that he's something, someone who's out there in case we ever really need him um, I had a, a roommate in college like this he grew up in a in a, in a background uh, in fact when I first went to college I remember I was trying to um, uh, as awkwardly as I knew how to I was trying to share my faith and so I started kind of on my floor connecting with guys and I would just ask them about you know how they grew up and what they believe and one guy would tell me his religious background another guy would tell me his religious background but my roommate taught me about his background and it was interesting how he conveyed it to me and I worked on him every day man I'd leave my my Bible open to certain passages <laughs> in fact he was the one who first said have you ever thought about being a pastor I think that was his way of saying how about if you go to a different school I was just kind of bugging him probably but no we were good friends and but it's interesting when he would talk about his upbringing he would talk about the fact 
that, um, yeah, yeah, he says, I have a religion. In fact, I, I went here and I took these classes as a kid and I went through, I don't know what he called it, confirmation, whatever it was, but I went through this whole thing and I went through an educational system. And then he said something that I've never forgotten. He says, yeah, my dad thought it'd be good for me. Thought it might be something I could use someday. And it's interesting how many people look at faith as something that you keep in your pocket in case someday you ever need it. It's interesting, I was reading Revived Magazine, Nathan McLaren said this, he says, as contrary as it may seem, many of us have redefined Jesus into someone we can both admire and ignore at the very same time. Needy Nelson, good luck Charlie, Little baby Jesus in a manger. Some of us love to see little baby Jesus in the manger. Why? Because babies are sweet, they're safe, they're cuddly, and they really don't intrude in your life too much as long as they're not yours. <laughs> Pastor Bruce and I were talking. Um, I've been here now, I think, 19 Christmases. I think this is 19, might be 20. And it's interesting because over that time we have done Easter musicals and we have done Christmas musicals until obviously the craziness of last year. And it's interesting, we have been observing attendance. We've been charting it, we've watched it. It's something I started to notice about 12, 13, 14 years ago. But it's really interesting that when you talk about Easter musicals, they have been on the decline in attendance for the last 17 years. Every, almost every single year, it goes down from the previous year. Christmas continues to get stronger and stronger. Christmas Eve services continue to get stronger. The musical, we're, it's a great opportunity. In fact, this is gonna shock you. We have found that our greatest outreach time to reach people for Christ is not Easter, it's Christmas. We see more conversions, we see more people, we see more people who don't have a church home that come in during Christmas, and you know why? Everybody wants to see a baby in a manger. Nobody wants to see a guy hang on a cross, unless you're a believer and you understand what that means. And we have noticed that has happened. And so I put in your notes this little thing. A, ba a baby doesn't really change your life that much unless it's your baby. But if it's somebody else's baby, you get to go see it, you get to play with it, you get to hug it, you, to, you get to cuddle with it until it makes a mess and then you can hand it back to them and you can leave. That's what you do when there's somebody else's baby. That's kind of it. But that isn't who Christ is. But we want to see Christ that way because as long as he's an infant in a manger really does not shock our value system too much. Now, the fourth view of who Christ is, and I said there can be many of them, is actually a biblical understanding, and it was understood by the Magi at the first Christmas. He is Lord, he is Savior, and he is coming King. Lord meaning that he gets to call the shots. He's in control. He gets to direct our lives. He is Savior, which means he is necessary for us to have a relationship to rescue us from our sins. He is coming king in that this. Jesus said, hey, when I came, I came to serve and to die as a ransom. But scripture says that when he comes again, he is coming as king of kings, Lord of lords. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. By the way, whether in heaven or under heaven or on earth that means everybody one day whether you want to follow him or not are going to acknowledge that he is who he is 
That's who he is. Now, I want you to get into Matthew chapter 2 because we're going to look at these guys that have been known in a song as we three kings of the Orient are, bearing gifts. We travel afar. Maybe you heard that as a kid. Or you, you've got a more modern translation which gives you a little bit better understanding. Some people have called them the three wise men. That probably is close. They are the magi. And they are individuals who are seekers and they are learners. They are philosophers. They probably track back to Persia. In fact, if you ever read the book of Daniel, Daniel was invited and put in with these wise men, not wise guys, that's a whole different group, wise men. These are the individuals that they sought to interpret dreams. They, they were thought to have this gifting. More than likely, hundreds of years earlier, they were the ruling class, but that kind of moved away during the Medo-Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar calls in these religious or these wise or these philosophical guys to interpret his dreams. They lumped Daniel in with that. That is probably who we're looking at. These were guys who were thinkers. They were searchers. They, were, they, were, they would use astronomy and astrology. They saw great symbolism in the sky. And it says this about them in Matthew chapter 2. By the way, I find it interesting. Matthew spends more time talking about the Magi than he does about the birth of Christ. They made a big impact into his life. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, known as King Herod the Great, by the way, he was in leadership for around 40 years, 35, 36 BC until about 480 or so. Uh, King Herod, magi from the east, came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ was to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet, by the way, the prophet is Micah, what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of the, my people Israel. Micah chapter five, verse two. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go to worship him. Now that's a lie that comes out later in the story. Herod doesn't want it, but he, he sufficiently convinced them that he was telling the truth. Go and find out, come back and report to me because I want to worship him as well. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
Now, these magi, these philosophers, these thinkers, these interpreters of dreams are on a mission. And I want to share with you this morning, in the next few minutes, three really important truths about the mission that these magi were on and why it impacted their life so much. Number one, they followed a sign. But it wasn't so much that they followed a sign. They followed a sign because they were searching for something. They were searching for something deeper than themselves. They were searching for something. In fact, it's really interesting. There was something in them that was desperate for an answer to whatever it is that they were engaging in at that time was not fulfilling in their life. Now, you'll notice it says they saw his star. They saw a star, and we don't know exactly what star that is. A lot of people who are smarter than I have conjectured as to what that is. What that star is and how that star appeared, whether it's miraculous or whether it continues today or whether it was already a kind of a cosmic thing that God had just ordained or it was a comic because, or comet because there's all kinds of, of ideas as to what that star was, what I find so interesting is that they were willing to set out on a journey of discovery and follow a star that tells me they were searching for something. Now, I don't know what you think about signs. I have a lot of people who tell me about signs that they've seen from God. Um... I, I had a family in the last year or so that went through a loss of a loved one, um, literally had just left the hospital after they passed away. When they walked outside, they said they saw a dove take off and they felt like that was God speaking to them um, that everything was going to be okay. Um, I've had, uh, I have another individual, it's interesting, we had our baptism service um, uh, back in August, and I, I don't, I, if you were here, I told you about it. It was really cool. We had, I don't know, 35, 40 people who got baptized, but it was really neat. We had just had a rain shower, and so when you look at the pictures of many of the people when they're baptized, people were taking pictures, there was a double rainbow right behind them, and it was just the coolest thing to be out there on the beach. And I didn't see it right away because I'm looking toward the beach, but everybody on the beach was looking out, and they saw this double rainbow, and it was just such a neat picture of God's promise it was just such a neat thing but that same night we have another family in our church that had recently gone through a loss and I didn't know this until about a month ago but he he pulled out a picture and he says you remember the night of the baptism well my family was over at my house and we had lost our, our dad and we were all just kind of I mean we we're just still mourning it was hard and it was so interesting now, I've never seen this happen maybe you've seen it happen but he took a picture and that rainbow that we saw on that night, it ended up in his backyard. It literally ends, in his, and there was no pot of gold, in case you were wondering. I know, I know somebody, was there a pot of gold? No, that's a fictitious thing, I think. But I don't want to say it too loud, but I know it's, it's fictitious. But he said, we sat there as a family, and we saw this rainbow connect and end in our backyard, and it just spoke to us that the Lord knew where we were at. And now here's something interesting. Scripture talks about how the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the sky his handiwork. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that from the very earliest of creation, Romans chapter 1 verse 19, 
He says, people are without excuse. Even if you've never heard the gospel, you're still without excuse because God proclaims his majesty just even in creation. It says this, it says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen and understood from what has been made so that men and women are without excuse. But here's the thing. Signs are never signs just to simply give us a good feeling. Signs are always intended to point our searching heart toward fulfillment in Christ. Always. Period. Always intended to point a searching heart toward Christ. What distinguished the Magi is they were searching for something else they were looking for meaning there are people that are here this morning reason you're here maybe you've never been here before why because your heart is searching for something deeper and significant number two they followed and believed what scripture said about the sign now this is fascinating it just jumps out at you once you read it they came to Jerusalem. By the way, the reason they came to Jerusalem, it doesn't say because the star was in Jerusalem. They knew it meant the king of the Jews. They assumed you're looking for a king of the Jews. You go to Jerusalem. It's the head of, it's the head of Israel. So they went, and they went to the king, King Herod, and said, hey, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? So it makes perfect sense they would go to Herod. Notice that Herod knew exactly who to go to. He called the chief priests, who were kind of like the chief religious dudes, and he called the experts in the Torah, the experts in the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who knew the Holy Scriptures the best. He called them and said, hey, where is this Christ? Herod knew where to look for the answer. The chief priests knew where to look for the answer. The experts in the law knew where to look for the answer. They just didn't care about the answer. But they looked to what? Scripture. And it said in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now here's what's incredible. They were able to look for Christ in Jerusalem because of a sign. But they couldn't find Christ until they understood Scripture. And you can get so far in your faith by God's wooing you. And it might be through circumstances. It might be through a loss. It might be through a sign. But can I tell you, it is always intended to point you to Christ. And Scripture indicates who Christ is. They believed what Scripture said about Christ and they applied it into their life. Max Lucado uh, wrote a great devotional book called Because of Bethlehem. And I happened to read one of the portions of it this last week or a couple of weeks ago. And he said this, The star sign was enough to lead the Magi to Jerusalem, but it took Scripture to lead them to Jesus. People see signs of God every day. Sunsets that steal the breath, newborns that bring tears, migrating geese that stir a smile. But do all of these people see the signs draw near to God? No. Many are, are content simply to see the signs. They do not realize that the riches of God are intended to turn us toward him. And if I can just give any encouragement, we live in a day when people have created Christ, they've created God in their own image, 
and we've conjectured as to what faith is. What is faith to you? What is faith to me? And can I tell you, we believe in heaven, but we don't often believe about what Scripture says about how to get to heaven. Scripture is the only real explanation most people have or description of what heaven is, and yet so few people believe how to get to heaven according to what Scripture says. We pick what we want to grab from Scripture, but when Scripture calls us to change and calls us to actually impact our life, we ignore it completely. And what I find fascinating is Herod knew the answer, the experts in the law knew the answer, but only the Magi were willing to go to the next step. Number three, they were open to pursuing Christ. Their heart wasn't just open to seeing a sign and searching Scripture, but they actually were willing to pursue Him with their hearts. Notice what it says. It came to, they came to the house. They followed the star, came to the house. And it says, uh, after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And notice how they responded. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped. And they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and myrrh. Now I want you to see what their response was. When the truth was revealed to them, when they saw where Christ was, they were overjoyed. I have people ask me quite often about how do you know if, if you've come to Christ? How do you know if your faith is real? And the first thing that I talk about is that this overwhelming sense of joy. They were excited about this. There was a joy and it. it wasn't dread. It wasn't fear. I'm not saying that there, is, that there is not sin and that there is sin that needs to be forgiven and that there are not consequences when we are not forgiven of our sin. I'm not saying there is not consequences. But overwhelmingly, there was a sense of joy. Then notice what happened in their joy. They bowed. They humbled themselves. There is something about when you recognize who Christ is that he is God incarnate, God in the flesh, the God who was feared and trembled on Mount Sinai. And yet he's the God who has come near. There is this incredible, I want to call it kind of a paradox, when you realize that God is unapproachable because of his holiness, and yet through Christ, we're invited to come into his inner chamber. We're invited into the inner sanctuary. We're invited to come into the presence of God. What does Peter say? 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that in due season he may lift you up. There is, there is this incredible concept that when I realize that I'm so broken that I'll never be able in my own strength to ever go to heaven in my own goodness and yet Christ has loved me. God has paid for my sins. I don't know about you. I'm incredibly humbled by that. I'm broken by that. And brokenness, this is the weirdest thing. Brokenness is the starting point of what it means to come before the Lord. Now look at the last thing they did. They were overjoyed and yet they were humbled. 
And what did they do? They worshiped him. The word worship uh, in the Latin means worship. It means they put him in his proper place. They elevated him. And when you humble yourself before the Lord, you realize how desperate you are and yet the incredible gift that he's given by dying on the cross for our sins, paying our debt we could never pay, what, what's the natural response? You place him in his proper position. You elevate him. You worship him. And notice how they did that. Gold, incense, the old, you say frankincense. It just means it, it, it's an image of priestly. The king, the gold represents his authority as a king. The incense represents, it's a prophetic worship, really. I don't even think they knew what they were doing. I think they worshiped just spontaneously, and yet it was such a prophetic word. I would say it this way. I think they worshiped better than they even knew. <laughs> they, they came and they offered the king gold. They offered the priest the go-between between God and man. They offered him incense. They gave myrrh, which is a strange gift to give a baby if you think about it be like giving a baby a, a coffin. Myrrh was used to present and preserve the body. It was, an, it was something that was very expensive, but it was used when a person died. At his birth, they give him a burial gift, the one who would die for our sins. And in that prophetic, Matthew saw such meaning as he realized that here were people that didn't have the right background. They weren't Jewish. They really didn't have the education to support it. They didn't grow up in Sunday school. But they followed a searching heart. They were willing to believe what Scripture said. And then in humility, they were willing to pursue God's answer for the deepest yearning in their heart. Incredible. I'll be honest, I've avoided the Magi over the years. I haven't really even looked at the story more than just knowing it. Never really pondered it. when I begin to see where they began and how God wooed them that they were some of the original worshipers talk about grace there are some of you that are here that don't have the right background don't have the right family you didn't get the right start and I don't know why you're here today an invitation you wanted to take a photograph I don't know and you're thinking as you came in this is not for me and yet as you're sitting here 
and I said they had hearts that were searching, all of a sudden, something in you jumped for something deeper, for something more. And we've opened up just enough Scripture to give a little bit of light. And the Spirit of God is saying, now would you have the courage to pursue me? It's really interesting. Jesus in John chapter 5 looked at the religious scholars who had all the answers. They knew Scripture inside and out. And he said these words to him. He says, you know, you search diligently. You study diligently the Scriptures because you think by them you can possess eternal life. But all of these Scriptures testify about me and yet you refuse to come to me and have eternal life. You can know every story in this Bible, forward and backward, and not know Christ. And you can know the simplest Scripture that through the Spirit of God enlightens in your heart who Jesus is. And that's not the end point, but it's enough. And Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come to me. And I'll give you streams of living water. If you're hungry, come to me. You'll never be hungry again. If you're tired, worn out, come to me. I'll give you rest. All three have the same common denominator. You got to come. You trust him. You come to him and you rely on him. And he says, I'm not a tame lion and I'm not some little baby in a manger and I'm not always safe, but I am good. I'll change your life. Would you pray with me, Father? I just believe that in this service right now and watching at home, there are some divine appointments that are taking place and I'm not going to belabor it. You've been speaking far more clearly than I could. So Lord, I would really like to just get out of the way and Holy Spirit, I would love for you to tap on shoulders. There are hearts that are beginning to beat faster right now. And I don't believe I change lives and I don't believe we change lives, but you use us to change lives. Holy Spirit, only you can change a life. And so right now, there are some that are here that are going to say these words. I don't fully understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. I don't, I don't know all this stuff. But from what I know, I know this. I desperately need you, Lord. And I desperately want you. And so here I am. By faith, as much as I know how, I say yes to you. Forgive my past. Forgive all the stuff in me that's not pleasing to you and forgive me for always wanting to be in charge. I surrender to you this morning. I say yes 
Pastor Chelsea was wearing a t-shirt that said changed. I want to be changed. Make me a different man, a different woman that can honor and please you. Lead my life, I pray. And heads are bowed and eyes are closed and cameras aren't focused on people. But this morning, if that's the prayer that's on your heart, I'm not calling you out. I'm not going to make you stand in front of people. But I just want you to give testimony to what God is doing in your heart. just want you to raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's good. You can even look at me if you want. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. I just want you to see me smiling at you. Yeah. Thanks, Lord. Affirm, affirm that step of faith this morning. Meet us where we're at. Bring us to where you want us to be. Thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.